Good morning. What's the highlight of the week? Thank you for joining us again tonight. This is MIT Podcast. MIT stands for Mindset into Transformations. I am Benjamin Huang, your host tonight. Here we have conversation with people who have done extraordinary things in their life. We discuss the story of success and the mindset drive them into achieving the impossible. Syndication is a very powerful tool in real estate. There are many mistakes that many investors make and don't even realize. However, SEC is watching what syndicators are doing and how they conduct in their syndications. Other than hearing from another investor, today we bring in a professional. He's a good friend of mine, Paul Vincent. Paul is a licensed attorney in the state of Ohio with extensive experience helping entrepreneurs. He takes pride in creatively solving problems and advise clients as they deal, deal with um, you know, real estate, run businesses and make their real estate, uh, you know, their estate plan. Among his other practice area, Paul enjoyed building relationships and connecting with people, and, and the team building perspective has benefited both him and his client in countless ways. Paul, how's your day today? My day's great, man. It's better now that I'm on this podcast with you. Thanks for the invite. I'm flattered and uh, looking forward to, to today, man. Awesome, awesome. Um, you know, you being in our podcast really, uh, you know, uh, make make a lot of difference, especially uh, most uh, guests come to our, our podcast, they are mainly uh, investor, right? Sure. And you coming in with a, you know, attorney background that can certainly, you know, answer the questions or answers a lot of, you know, potential concern professionally. So before we get into it, uh, would you like to give um, the audience some background highlight of what you have done in the past? Yeah, sure. So, um, like I said, appreciate you having me on. So, um, I've been a lawyer for 13 years. Um, I started first in, as, a, as a, actually a lobbyist doing government relations stuff, helping people get earmarks um, for special projects. So, I did that for a while. Then when Congress got lame and they didn't do those anymore, I went and I was a real lawyer. So I did uh, all sorts of like general practice stuff, a lot of litigation, a lot of uh, business transactional stuff. And then I had an opportunity to um, start my own firm with this one single huge client that bought um, tax liens in the state of Ohio. So we handled about, I don't know, seven or 800 tax liens for this client when we, when we opened up our doors. And, and when, I, when I found out that was a thing, I had no idea what tax liens were. I knew what a foreclosure was, but I didn't know there was tax lien foreclosures. So when I, when I found that out, it kind of opened the door to a number of different mechanisms um, to, to do business via real estate. Um, so I started snooping around. I found some local guys that were doing uh, residential uh, investments. And then there was another guy uh, locally. His name's Tim Bratz. He was doing a lot of big commercial multifamily stuff. So I uh, was able to meet with him. And then, you know, kind of the rest is history. We've been, we've been focusing since then. On the entrepreneurial journey, we help clients, um, like Benjamin had said, we do a lot of commercial real estate. We also do a lot of estate planning for those clients. Um, and a lot of folks now are buying businesses. So we'd help with those uh, business transactions too. And, and with that, when you're buying things that you can't otherwise afford yourself, you need to stack other people's money. So uh, when we had our first opportunity to help somebody with that, we didn't know what the hell we were doing. Um, we found a mentor, a lawyer, and... Uh, did that for a while with a mentor and then we've just been doing it on our own for about the last, I don't know, six or seven years. Um, so yeah, that's it. Like, like doing the law stuff, like helping people close deals, business and real estate. And, um, yeah, just, uh, try not to work too hard either. 
<laughs> At the same time, you're also a real estate investor, right? Yeah. So it's funny, you know, you do all these real estate deals and at some point it clicks and you're like, why don't I just do that? So um, back in 21, in the middle of the pandemic, I was like, hey, I want to get a deal this year. We ended up snagging two deals um, for 165 units, just using the same syndication strategy that most folks do. We found uh, a really uh, deep discount value add deal out in Illinois, one in Peoria and one in um, one in Champaign, Illinois. And uh, yeah, own that for about two years. So we're we're going through the uh, the refinance process on the one, and the other one we still have another six eight months. But um, but yeah, it's been good. So we just you know mimicked what we teach people how to do. And uh, this year we're going to do another one or two. Um, had one I thought that I would be taken down with a deep seller finance, but the numbers just don't scratch. So I'm not going to try too mm. hard. But yeah, we'll get something uh, this year for sure. Awesome, awesome. And guys, if you're listening, you know, um, the reason why Paul is here is that I really see him to be able to act as a true teacher. A true teacher really are the pe people who teach stuff at the same time they're doing the same thing, right? Yeah. And has been successful in doing things, right? And and Paul here, uh, you know, he not only conduct the, you know, the law practice, but also has been doing investing himself. So um, today we, we got a lot of things that we that we can talk about. Um, but Paul, um, throughout your investor journey, um, you know, most of most investors make mistakes. What, what, what are say the, the top, uh, top lesson they learn from mistake? Yeah, I think the first lesson everybody should understand is like in commercial, especially, uh, anything over, you know, probably anything North of 20 units really requires, uh, more than one person or it should, you can do all these things on your own. But I think one mistake folks make is not grasping early enough on that I can do so much more as part of a team, uh, as part of a partnership or, or kind of a loose partnership, maybe not the, in the legal sense, but a couple having kind of a, 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 a semi team put together that you can handle these deals with because um, celebrating is, is obviously more fun when you, you know, have, have partners and things. But uh, when things get hard, it is nice to be able to, uh, share and some of that um, sorrow and like, you know, come up with better ideas. So that's stress. one thing I think. I, yeah, there's so much stress. I mean, you know what it's like. It's um, taking down the deal is by far the easiest part, right? Obviously, raising capital gets hard. That's hard for everybody. Um, but when you close the deal, it's like, oh, okay, we're closed. That that part you dream fondly of, uh, you know, after you own it for a while, because then when the problems start coming and maybe you have some slip and falls on your property or, you know, tenant nightmares, which are inevitable, that's when it starts to get stressful. Um, and that's when you want to bounce ideas off people or share in the workload. Um, and that's what I see people doing later on. They don't figure that out for a couple of years after struggling on their own or have a deal go totally poorly. Um, but that's probably the first, I think, easiest low hanging fruit for people to do and do well is just try to find a home with, with some teammates before you get in too deep. I see. Awesome. And you mentioned about partnerships. Certainly, you know, real estate is a team sport. And if you yep. team up with, a great, you know, a group of great people, then certainly there's a lot that you can can achieve more than just yourself. Um, so what 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 are the the thing that should cross people's mind when they're thinking about, you know, partnering up, right? Say, yeah. if you look at the deal and okay, this deal says 20 units or 30 units, or 100 units, and that is just too big yep. for individual, like what what as an investor should think about doing? Yeah, so 
what I don't recommend anyone do too is just by proximity partner with somebody. It's like, oh, I, I bought this thing in Cleveland, Ohio. I know Paul's in Cleveland. I'm just going to call him up. Like you shouldn't partner with people that you haven't spent a pretty significant amount of time in. And by significant time, I mean at least a full day or two because you really got to know these people. These people are going to be part of your life for best case scenario, three or five years. But some chance if you if you didn't buy right, that they'll be part of your life for 10 years, 20 years. Um so that is something I recommend. You can't, you can't really get to know somebody without spending time. And if you're really going to partner with someone, um, I highly recommend you carve out some time to spend the day, walk the property, eat dinners and lunches and spend time. So you really get to know these people. Um, what you don't want to have happen is find out that this person is someone that's beyond ignorant that you don't ever want to hang out with, but then you're stuck with this, you know, this apartment complex that you're going to be doing all these asset management calls with and all that. So um, it's a simple stuff. Many of these ideas are simple, but it's important to remember them, um, especially if you're starting out early on. Right, right. Uh, I think one time a friend of mine was telling me partnership just like marriage. You don't want to just jump into marriage right away, right? You want to date the the person and really know about the person. I mean, even know the person better before you date the person, right? Yeah, that's Uh, right. Yeah. Be a friend first before you uh, date the person. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So uh, getting into specific, uh, what, what are the crucial questions that you usually ask for this, you know, new friend before you even dive into the partnership? I mean, whether it's legally or, yeah. you know, just no, I, as investor. You know, some, of the, some of the most basic things is like, hey, what do you think you do well? And then what do you do poorly? Like, what do you think I would help? Like, how do we both help each other? Because I think a good partnership is finding, the, finding your weak spots and having somebody replace those, right, to make a really good team. So, um, you know, start off with deciding for yourself, what are you good at, right? Are you a, are you a financial person? Are you a person that likes getting your hands dirty? You're going to do the maybe do the construction management or something like that. Is that your value add? Um, or are you the, the finance person that can raise the capital, that can keep investors informed and, and satisfied with what's going on with the deal? So first find out what you're good at and then look for someone uh, that can handle what you're not. Like for me, you look at me. I know nothing about construction. I probably never will. Um, so my partners that we got these two deals with, that's what they did for a living. That's how it filled. Uh, we, we kind of filled each other's cup. So um, I raise the capital. I talk to strangers. I smile. Sometimes they send me money. Um, that's what I do pretty well. And then they uh, they handle the construction. So that, I think that's the most important. Find what you're good at and see if this person that you're going to partner with uh, can add add, and you can add to them. Awesome. Um, so you talk about, you know, really knowing yourself first, right? Yeah, Knowing sure. your strengths, your weaknesses and whatnot before you even determine, you know, what uh, aspect that you need, you know, people to fill in. Um, other than those, you know, technical expertise that, you know, the, the partners really should, uh, you know, cover up each other. What, what, what are like the other question that, that, that investors usually don't think about and, and you think that's very important to figure it out? Yeah, really important. And I've had actually a couple of partnerships only find this out later, two or three years into a, into a relationship is, hey, what's your exit strategy, right? Like some people are, you know, they've bought into the, I'm going to make this legacy for my children with every single asset I buy. And other people are like, look, I want to be rich while I'm here. So um, that's a big thing. Know that you're both aligned on the exit strategies. Is your exit strategy a refinance, then hold for 20 years? Or is your exit strategy, let's just add value to this thing. Let's flip this thing. Let's cash out and move on to the next one. So that's really 
also basic, but very important. You don't want to be feeling like you're dragged along or dragging someone else along that wants to just sell the thing. So no, no exit strategies, right? If you're, if you both want to get um, rich during your lifetime, maybe sell the thing, you know, at three or five years. Um, but you don't want to have misaligned exit strategies because one of you is going to be upset. Right, right, right. And, and uh, of course, you know, when you are talking with people, um, you know, the, there's, there's, there's always good partnership and bad partnership. Have you, have you ever have uh, witnessed any, you know, partnership dissolve in a bad way? And how does those look like? Yeah, I mean, I have had people that have had um, less than satisfactory performance. You know, if you're signed up because you're the boots on the ground person, but you're never there, that's going to be a problem, right? It's like, hey, you got equity in this deal uh, because you're going to be the one checking on the managers, you know, managing the managers. And then that person never does the calls or, you know, doesn't see that the construction projects are going well. Those usually, those are very like objection or objectively uh, measured performance, right? It's like, hey, when was the last time we talked to the property manager? Months ago, you know? Um, so those ones are like, hey, now we need to boot you out um, and we can give that equity to somebody else. That one. And then the exit strategy, um, ends up being kind of a difficult thing where somebody's like, Hey, we've owned this thing for five years. I don't care that we're going to cash flow for the next 20. I want my money out of here. Cause I want to go do something else. You know, like mm -hmm. five years from now, I don't know what I'll be doing. I think I'll be doing what I'm doing now, but who knows? It's just, um, five years kind People of change. Yeah. I mean, it's just a, a lot can happen in 60 months, uh, you know, personally, just like your personal life or just kind of your flavor, uh, that you're interested in. So, those are the two kind of common ones is exit strategy and then not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Cool. Cool. And, and in, in practice, you know, uh, say if you are in the, in the partnership and you want to kick people out, how would that, uh, you know, happen? Right. I mean, of course there should be some sort of, uh, you know, uh, document or agreement, you know, yeah. put up front. Right. So uh, say if someone's trying to partner up with people, of course, they need to think about, you know, the good time and also the bad time. Yeah. And, 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 and what, what should people consider putting into agreement? Yeah. So in, in every LLC, there should be an operating agreement that decides, hey, what happens when someone either gets asked to leave for, for uh, maybe malfeasance? That outcome is going to look different than someone that's just like, hey, I'm giving you a 12 month notice. I want out of this deal. Um, that'll all be defined. There should be a, a section about uh, termination or dissolution or just removal of a partner. And, and a lot of operating agreements have a, a, a template kind of response to that where it's like, you know, after 12 months, uh, someone can ask, and you know, for 180 days notice to get out of the partnership and then they get paid some amount for that equity. Mm -hmm. So if you've never looked in your own deal and be like, hey, what happens if somebody asks tomorrow that they want out of the partnership? Um, you know, there's there's operating agreements that obviously don't get looked at that often, right? Because a lot of people use their own template that they've used a bunch of times, but then they realize that someone that might be in a deal with them can just decide tomorrow that they don't want to do it. And then it'll force the partnership to buy them out for some, some equity value. A lot of times it's like 80% of an appraised value of that equity. So if you, you know, if you bought a deal for a million dollars, then tomorrow somebody wants out that owns half. It's like, are you going to have 400000 to buy them out tomorrow? Probably not. You know, that'll be a huge pain in the butt. Um, so just, just some kind of cap, right? Usually. Yeah, you want it to be a period of years. So you want to be like, no one can ask to get out of here unless they're dead or uh, incapacitated uh, for at least three years or something like that, you know? So. Awesome. 
Awesome. So yeah. we got a little taste of, uh, you know, what the what the common issue that Paul has been saying. And uh, you guys out there listening into this podcast, you know, we all are investing in real estate, but not all of us are seeing dissolving partnership or bad partnership, you know, can can look. So when we come back, uh, enter into a, the, the second sections, we're going to dive into more of those common mistakes that people are making specifically in syndication. Thanks for coming back. Uh, in this second section, we want to talk more about the mistake that people are making in, in syndications. No matter your GP, general partners, or LP, limited partners, there are a lot of things you should know about syndication before you really invest on one or really start one, right? Paul, um, uh, like throughout your, your, your career, <clears throat> generally, you know, uh, when people are doing syndication, what, what are the top few, um, you know, mistakes that you're seeing? Yeah, I think uh, number one mistake every every person goes through in their uh, syndication career, whether it's your first one, uh, you learn more. So on everyone's first one, they probably presume that raising the capital should be easier than it ultimately is. Uh, some people are, are blessed with a network or a, you know a family or something where raising capital is not that big of a deal because maybe maybe dad has some friends and dad will make some calls or mom has uh, uh, some friends that will make some calls or somebody in their life you could just ask to do what would otherwise be very hard, like raising capital. Mm -hmm. And people don't realize that doesn't matter if the deal is a screaming deal or not. People bet on the horse. They want to know that the operator uh, is someone they can trust. So if you don't have relationships, you have to be able to um, use somebody else's credibility to get someone excited about it. Uh, if you don't, if, if they're not excited about yours. So that's mistake number one is people not digging their well early enough and deep enough uh, for capital raising. It's a lot harder than you think. Um, everybody has, I mean, I, I say everybody generally, but many, 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 many people have a hard time closing deals right at the end because even if you get soft commits, that's not the same as a check coming. So I tell people, look, get 150% of what you think you need to raise in soft commits and then pray that that hundred percent comes through coming, because yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's, it's always, mm -hmm. yeah, it's different. I mean, it's always a moving target. So, and then, and then God, God forbid the bank is like, Hey, I know you, I told you you need to bring 1.2 to close. We actually want 1.45 <laughs> yeah, and that happens a lot. Like you mm -hmm. need to have, you need to have those backup um, checkbooks Plan. that you mm -hmm. can call on. So. Yeah. Awesome. And so, you know, one, like did, uh, this point is really important to me. You know, um, uh, the best the best time to establish relationship to that to to make people know you as an operator or the general partners is before you have a deal, right? Mm -hmm. Without, I mean, without a deal, you can speak to anybody freely about whatever you're doing, whatever you're looking for, and whatnot, and let people know you, right? And if you are LP like limited partners who invest in syndication, you you better know this operator first for some time and watch some of the previous deal that this operator has been doing and really knowing, you know, the, whether this is a guys that you can trust or not, or whether it, it has frequent, you know, the capital call or whatnot, right? Those those are, are, are track records. So credibility is really important. Um, and Paul, uh, when you are seeing, you know, uh, uh, you know, limited partners trying to invest into syndication, you know what, what? What are kind of the the question that I mean they should be asking other than, you know, you know the mental trust to this person. 
Like there got to yeah. be some question that they have to be answered. Yeah, I think I think really really important stuff for an LP is you should be going to the same conferences and learning the same content that the operators are. You just don't want to deal with the tenants and toilets. But like until you're pretty seasoned and understand what a good deal looks like and what the uh, expense ratio looks like, you shouldn't be investing in deals because you don't really know. Do not judge a deal by the offering memo uh, that was put together by a broker or the syndicator. You have to be able to look at at the P&L of that deal and be like, hey, is this, is this thing going to work? Is this person's uh, plan for the project going to work? And then bet on that. Because what I see a lot of people doing is like, hey, I got 150K to put into something. I saw you on the internet once, you know, talk about a deal and I really want to get in. Um, but if you don't know how to, how to kind of, you don't need to be like a perfect financial wizard, but just kind of see like, Hey, it looks like we're in the red right now, but if we add value this way, it's going to get us to this. Like, if you don't understand how to do that, then it's just not your time to invest. I don't think. So do that. Learn yourself as if you are the syndicator, um, before you put your dough in into somebody else's deal. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, so larger deals on syndication is, you know, if you're coming as a as a limited partner, really, um, it's a it's the same idea, right? Just looking at, at the investment and see if you were to to buy this deal, whether this business plan is going to work out or not, right? So yeah. really, the, a lot of education is is what's required. Um, if we can move to the second uh, largest mistake that you're that you're seeing people are making, no matter it's on GP or LP side. Yeah, just the due diligence. Um, people uh, don't do enough due diligence. And then if they do a lot of due diligence, they find out the deal isn't that great. And then they're just trying to figure out how to make it work. Because what people, uh, people are always chasing, you know, um, door counts. Obviously, they're chasing those acquisition fees. Uh, but that acquisition fee will be eaten up by your, you know, home and family. And then you're just going to have a crappy deal on your hands. So do a lot of due diligence. And when the news is bad, you just got to move on and go to the next one. I see people getting into getting into deals because someone's willing to sell, not because it's a good deal, you know? Um, and that is probably, mis- that, that's probably one of the, the bigger mistakes is just because a bank's going to lend on it. Uh, they've, it's gone through their underwriting. doesn't mean it's a good deal uh, because I've seen a lot of, a lot of deals that are razor thin mm-hmm. that I'm like, like, yeah, you get this acquisition fee, but, this thing isn't going to survive when the taxes go up like it's probably going to, you know, six months from now. So um, point. do the due diligence. What the due diligence tells you is probably true. And if it sucks, don't buy the deal. Awesome. And the other point that you just kind of quickly touch on is, you know, uh, there are some deal that bank would lend, you know, sure. that doesn't that doesn't really mean it's a good deal, right? Because uh, re- really the right way is you as an investor, you should go into the bank and speaking to them comfortably and say, hey, this is a deal you guys have to land because this is such a good deal. Not right. the other way around, right? Yeah. You should not treat bank to be your kind of a, the, the, the filter. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if, if a bank's willing to give you 80% LTV, then okay, that's a pretty good deal. But if a bank's like, hey, we're going to give you 75 and then as the weeks go, they're like, actually, we're going to give you about 60 um, percent of LTV, then it's like, well, they're not that comfortable with it either. And they know that if it comes back, you know, they don't want to be overpaying for something that's going to be back as their, as their REO property. So yeah, just cause some, some banks willing to do it doesn't mean that's a deal that you should be spending time on. Awesome. Awesome. Um, 
I believe most of most of the people listening are active real estate investor. However, most of you guys may eventually become a limited partners on some 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 other people's. That's the goal, future, right? I mean, everyone's right? goal is to do that. Just cut a check and get me out of here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when when a limited par- partner coming into looking at deals, you know, um, do your own due diligence, and you know, if, of course, if you invest certain amount into a certain project. It's really your right to talk to the general partners or the operator to say, "Hey, I want to see all the due diligence you have been doing, and I want to see, uh, uh you know, what's the what's the what's the reactions from, from from bank, and if 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 the underwriter is happy about the deal or not, right? Not 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 really. And of course, you should do your own due diligence first, right? Like right. what Paul has has just said. Um, okay, so legal wise, um. There, there, there are a lot of mistakes that people can make, and they are making right five or six B, five or six Cs. Um, do you want to do a quick touch up? Like, yeah. So, yeah, the big difference between a five or six B and C, and these are the exemptions that you're able to utilize, so you can sell a security to an investor. Um, these are exemptions that the Securities Exchange Commission allows, so you don't have to be a public offering like Facebook or Amazon or anything like that. This is the, this is the cheaper version of selling securities. Um, so one of the biggest things to consider is who can I, uh, there's two big things. Uh, who am I going to get money from? Do I want it to be unaccredited investors? These are smaller, smaller pocketed, you know, friends and family, uh, unaccredited investors, or do I want to advertise this deal to the world? And those are the two things to consider. So if you want to, um, take money from maybe, you know, mom and dad or friends and family that, that don't have the accredited investor status. And I can talk about that in a second. Then you're going to want to do a 506B and B stands for uh, buds and blood. Those are people that you have a pre-existing and substantive relationship with. They're your friends, they're your family, they're uh, folks that you know well, 506B or 506C where you're raising from the community, from the crowd, from people you don't know. And the distinction between the two is that 506C, you can only take from accredited investors. So those are the two things you got to think about. Um, do I want to get uh, less wealthy people uh, investing in my deal or do I want to advertise to the world? Um, and that's where you kind of decide that. And, and you want to decide that early because you'll lose your exemption uh, if you start off advertising it to the world. You won't be able to go backwards to a 506B where you can get money from buds and blood. Um, so you want to decide that early before you start asking people for money. 